just the investment you are making for everyone else. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. Now, I'm not sure how many of you um, follow sort of royal family drama that, that you might hear about in the news. So let me just say, don't read tabloids. Don't, don't, like, don't read these books that are coming out. Like just, I think for obvious reasons, there's just a lot of sensationalism and it's a waste of time. But even if you just kind of watch headline news, right, you're, you're aware that there's just a lot going on in the royal family, right? There's a lot of drama sort of happening. And so many of you know, Prince Harry has, has left the royal family, um, I was really heartbroken over this, but he left. The, I'm not, I don't know how one leaves the family, but he did this, and he left the royal family. And now he has a book out, and he's got a show on Netflix out. Like, this is like a big thing. And, and it's all about how it's really not that great being a royal. Like, there's just this sense of he's really had a hard, a hard upbringing. And there's just discord in the family and certain people who are not who, you, you know, you think they are, and on and on. And things, he's saying things that you would say to sell a book and to sell a TV show, but, but he's kind of shining this light of, you know, being a royal isn't maybe what you expect. He's sort of breaking expectations on what it means to, to grow up in that family. Now, I'm not really interested in the drama or looking to break down the drama, other than to say, I think when we hear something like a royal family, and obviously in other places beyond Britain they have royal families, I think it's easy to put certain expectations on what it means to be a royal and what they're what their life must be like and certain rules that they must follow and certain privileges they must have. And just being born into that family creates expectations on how life will go for them. And so there's a lot of speculation when things don't go that way. But you know, they're not the only ones who live with certain expectations because of their family. They're not, the royals aren't the only ones who, when you hear that they're part of a family, who have certain expectations on them. And in chapter 3 of Luke, we, we see the lineage of Jesus. We see that he is indeed fully human. He is, a, he is the son and a descendant of Adam. That He's fully man. And we also see the, the, the ministry of John the Baptist in chapter 3 preparing the way for the ministry of Jesus. And this culminates with Jesus being shown as not just a man, but the unique Son of God, that He is fully God. And the culmination of this sort of, of, of John the Baptist preparing this way is an audible voice from heaven speaks and declares to Jesus that you are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so one might assume when they hear of, of this identity of the Son of God, of beloved by God, that God has pleasure in this one, one might then assume, well, then certainly life will go a certain way. Which is why I think it's interesting that the next voice we hear in Luke, so we hear the voice of God declaring Jesus to be the Son of God. And now in chapter 4, the story picks up in the wilderness. Jesus, having not eaten for six weeks, he is weak and weary, and the next voice we hear is not the voice of God, but the voice of Satan, now speaking to Christ. Hey, if you really are the Son of God, then why do you find yourself tired and weak and isolated? Why do you find yourself in the wilderness alone? Because that doesn't really seem to fit the image I would have of what it means to be God's beloved son. And he's not just sort of asking the question. He's really challenging Jesus. It doesn't appear that this is the way it's supposed to be, right? Because this doesn't seem to be the way the son is meant to be treated. 
So in chapter 4, we see how Christ battled the accuser and the accusation and the temptation he brings. But we want to learn it as well, not just because of what he did, but because we have the same accuser who uses trials and temptations and sins and weaknesses in our life to speak into our ear. Hey, if you're really loved by God, or if you really love God, if God's really in control, if God's really loving, why is it this way right now in your life? So in chapter 4, we see not just the strategy of Satan, but we see the victorious response from Christ and the victorious response he gives for his people. So the main theme we're going to see in verses 1 through 13 is this. Jesus is victorious in every test. Jesus is victorious in every test. So if you're able, I'd ask you if you could stand now as we read chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 together. As we read of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and all their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, ser- and, and him only shall you serve. Verse 9, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Well, you may be seated. Again, the main theme we're going to be looking at this morning is Jesus is victorious in every test. We're going to look at that through three points this morning. And the first point is this. First point is Israel's test. Israel's test. So I've never, I've never seen the movie. I've never seen the play. I've never read the book Peter Pan. So I don't know how many of you have seen the movie or, or whatever else the story of Peter Pan. I vaguely know the story of Peter Pan. So right, there's this boy who lives in Neverland. He doesn't grow up. His best friend's a fairy. He fights a pirate. He wins. That's kind of the spoiler alert. And it's not based on a true story. So I think some of the details you can you don't have to worry about. But I was good with my level of, of pan knowledge. Like, I was kind of good with that. Like, that's what I know of the pan story. Until recently, for my daughter Evangeline, her, her English class, they were doing a, a cinema study on a, on a, on a sort of a, fo- on a modern-day follow-up of the, of the Peter Pan movie. And, you know, and I, I enjoyed the movie. But all these questions that, the, you know, that I have to study is like, okay, what does this scene allude to in the original story? And sort of, okay, the director is making, you know, he's... He's doing the same scene, but he's contrasting it. He's, he's having it play out a little different than the original story. So what's he trying to highlight from the original story? And just sort of what's he trying to convey? And, I, and as I'm watching this story and trying to answer a question, I'm like, I, I don't have any of the depth of this movie because I didn't, have the, the, I didn't appreciate the context that it was in. Because they were trying to tell, basically have this story where, hey, you've seen this story before, but it's different this time. 
You've, you've seen it play out before, but this time it's different. Now, time does not permit to go over the entire context of what we're looking at in chapter 4 that we see unfolding in this passage, but we need to be aware that Luke is using imagery and word choices, and he's painting a picture that we're meant to look at this and say, wait, wait a minute, haven't, haven't we seen this before? But this time, it's different. See, we see Jesus being led into the wilderness for 40 days, and it should immediately draw back, wait, wait, there was Israel, the people of God, they were once led into the wilderness, not for 40 days, but for 40 years. And they were tested, but they failed. But their failure came after seeing the unmistakable and dramatic victory of God in their midst. They saw God rescue them from slavery. They saw him defeat Pharaoh and his army to bring water from a rock, to bring manna from heaven, to guide them in each step, and clearly to see him as the one who is holy to be revered. So before this scene in the wilderness takes place, there was a scene that took place of, of that, that lasted 40 years. But the scene that unfolded over 40 years was not of faithfulness, but of fear, was not of defeating temptation, but of succumbing to it as they complained and they tested and they made idols for themselves. And so each of the passages Jesus quotes here are from Deuteronomy. As the people are walking in sin, the Lord is telling, hey, dude, you should not have any idols. There's no one that you worship no one else besides the Lord as they are there carving a golden calf. He's telling them, do not put the Lord your God to the test as they complain day after day through four decades of his faithfulness. He, he's telling you, you cannot live, it says in Deuteronomy, you cannot live on bread alone as they eat manna miraculously each morning provided by God. See, the backdrop of, of Jesus passing this test and resisting temptation is the wilderness, is the people of God failing the test and succumbing to temptation in the wilderness. So in our passage last week, what we saw in chapter 3, we see Jesus as the second, as the, as the second Adam, the better Adam, the true Adam, the, 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 the better representative for us. And here we also see that Jesus is the second and the better, and the, the true Israel, the true doing what the, the people of God were called to do, but never did. So the background is, is that he is the second Israel doing what they failed to do. But not only that, you should also look back and say, he's the second Adam, he's the, he, he's the, he's the second Adam doing what the first representative of man failed to do. See, the first Adam... He heard Satan's voice. He heard Satan twist God's word and he fell, throwing the whole world into a curse. This one heard the voice of Satan and heard him twist God's word and he resisted, bringing on a co complete reversal of the curse and grace to where every square inch that the curse is touched, this one now brings a reversal of that curse. One commentator writes, he is in fact going right back to the beginning, back to square one. He is the new Adam. In Eden, the head of the human race was confronted by the tempter, disobeyed God's word, and set the whole of mankind off on the wrong track. Now comes the second Adam, and alone in the wilderness, 
he in his turn confronts the tempter. The difference is that he will win. He will be, totally, he will be the totally obedient man, man as he was meant to be, man who never loses his relationship with God through sin. By giving in to temptation, the first Adam banished us all into the wilderness. But by going out and resisting temptation, the last Adam brought us back to paradise. Jesus Christ came to regain what Adam had lost. He did this by resisting the very devil who tempted Adam. So you see, one of the things we see here, it's not just that Jesus succeeds, he, it's, it's he does where his people failed, where the first representative, the first Adam failed, Jesus Christ succeeds. So we see Jesus is victorious in every test. The second point we're going to look at is Christ's test. We have Israel's test, now we have Christ's tests. Now a couple of things to note before jumping into sort of the, the meat of the three tests he faced. One is, is that verse 2 is wording it in such a way that it's noting that it's not just that these were three random tests he faced, that he was out there for 40 days and then this was sort of the only times he faced, but this was a period of testing from Satan that Satan was bringing against him. And either these were, in a sense, the culmination of them or just represented the tests he faced in some way, but this was just ongoing test after test after test by Satan. And Luke is just drawing our attention to three of them in particular. But also we know in verse 1 and verse 2 that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to touch more on that in just a moment, but he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. To say, Jesus wasn't in the wilderness and he wasn't being tested because he made a mistake or because God wasn't sovereign or as a consequence for sin or because he wasn't listening to them. See, when he faced this trial, it wasn't like, oh, I guess, I guess something went wrong in God's plan. I guess something either because of my sin or because of just his neglect, something went wrong with sort of how this was supposed to be. He was tired and he was, he was hungry and he was being tried by Satan and he was led into that position by God. And so one should just note that when one finds themselves similarly in a sense, walking through the valley, Listen, we'd all rather, we'd all, just in our human flesh, we'd all rather God lead us around the valley than through the valley. But when we, when we, when we are walking through the valley, we must not assume, well, what went wrong? What went wrong with God's plan? What must I have done that I'm in the situation that I am in? See, God's purposes are not that we avoid the testing, though that's often my purpose in life. And so as we just view temptations and trials and, 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 and difficult circumstances in our life, we, we just n must never think that, oh, it must be that I've messed up in some way. Now, oftentimes we are in a situation because of our sin and foolish decisions, but certainly not always, and certainly just to be not quick to assume that. But also, just as we think of the lives of others, when they find themselves in difficulty and, and just experiencing just just a, a real difficulty in circumstance, just a, a real trial to, to not assume, oh, it must be because of something that they did wrong. I don't know that it's really ever helpful to try to determine sort of why is someone in the situation they're in, but to sort of be just quick to assume that that's not because they weren't following the Lord and the Lord is not being good to them that they find themselves facing a particular temptation or trial. But here we see that Christ is tested. There are three tests in particular. Again, there's going to be 
a lot that we're going to learn from, from our own lives. But, but just know, we're not going to take these three tests ourselves. Like the three tests he faces are not the ones we're, we're going to face. But there is a similarity in that Satan attacked Christ when he was hungry and he was tired, when he was physically and just emotionally just sort of just drained, when he was isolated. That's when Satan come. That's when, he, that's when he comes. That's when he came for him. And that he designed these tests specifically for him. That he, 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 he sought out what he thought would be Jesus's sort of, what his perceived human weaknesses would be. And then that that's what he went after. And so we just need to note in our own lives where we, where we, where we are weak, where we are vulnerable. That's where Satan, that's where the enemy is going to, to attack us. And so we should learn our vulnerabilities. We should learn, hey, where... Where am I most susceptible in my life to, 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 to be tempted and to be tested? But here he t- begins when Jesus has not eaten for 40 days. And he says, if you're, if you're the son of God, then turn this stone into bread. Jesus, if you're really God's son, as just heard, then why are you so hungry? Like, that doesn't seem right. I mean, if God really loved you, why is he just letting you waste away? I mean, wouldn't you just have the power to fix it right now? So I think one of the things that he is doing here is he is tempting him to look at his circumstances and to question his identity and to question God's care for him. If, if God loved you, then, then why this? If, if you were truly the son, why this? To, to define his reality, not by God's word, but by his circumstances. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that I'm hungry and tired and isolated and alone. That doesn't seem to fit. It's tempting him to view reality through his circumstances, not through what God has clearly spoken. And he offers... He offers him this world. He basically says, listen, I'll, I'll give everything to you. This whole kingdom can be yours. All, all you have to do is bend your knee to me. Just worship me just, just once. Now, Satan's got to know, right? This isn't going to work like this. Of course, right? Jesus is already the God of all, of all worthiness and of do all worship and honor. It's all due to him. It's all coming to him already. So he, it's all coming to him unless he actually does the thing Satan here is suggesting he do. So... So he's got to know it's not going to work on one level, but what he's doing is he's targeting Christ. And he's planting these seeds to Jesus, the only one due honor. Hey, Jesus, maybe you can have the crown without the cross. Maybe you can have the reward without the sacrifice. Maybe, maybe God's beloved doesn't need to endure all the suffering that's coming. And then third, he says to throw himself down. And you can just throw yourself down. You can have this angelic rescue. And again, Jesus refuses. But what is Satan attempting here? He's looking to, again, undermine Jesus where he would perceive him to be vulnerable. Basically, if God's so powerful, if you're the son of the all-powerful one, why, why are you so weak right now? You see, if rescue is just so easy, why, why do you have to endure all this? If the whole heavenly host is waiting and watching and the only thing that is holding them back from watching you endure suffering and pain and the weight of man's sin is just your restraint and calling them down, why endure one more moment? Why not prove who you are and show off the power of God? 
But Jesus resisted because there are no shortcuts in destroying Satan and liberating all those who are under his grip. He trusted when Adam failed, when Israel failed, where everyone else failed to live in grateful obedience to God, Christ and Christ alone succeeds. But he did so here with, with, with a clear strategy, right? So he did so, he resisted, he, he resisted because he knew his true identity. See, he wasn't persuaded by Satan's scheme. He didn't view his sonship through the lens of his circumstances, but he trusted in God's word. God declared to him that he is his son. So that's it. That's what's true. His hunger and his isolation, they didn't interpret reality for him. God does, and so he leaned to his true identity and the truth behind it and not the feelings of his circumstances. And this, does this feel like what it would be to be God's son? No, he didn't lean into that. He just leaned into, no, God spoke it. It is true. That's reality. And he used scripture for each temptation. He, he countered and he battled with the word of God. And not just vague, well, I think the Bible might say something against what you're saying, but no, he had very direct tempter. You can come at me because this book speaks truth, and here is what it says. That one right after the other, he just, the word, the word, the word, and he battled Satan. And then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't mustering up all the human power he could possibly get and muster up. He was dependent upon the filling of and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to see that this isn't just what he did, but this must be our strategy as well as Satan customizes his battle plan and temptation against us. So, again, the main thing we see, main thing we see is Jesus is victorious in every test. The third thing I want to look at this morning is our test, is our test. So, I've never, I've, I've never seen a horror movie. Like, I don't know if... Um, I'm, I'm really just creeped out by the commercials of them. I just, like, like, for real, like, when there's a commercial that comes out and there's, like, a little girl singing to a doll, like, I'm just, the TV's off. I'm just out, right? Like, it's just, I just know what it's going to do to my mind. I don't, like, I just don't want anything to do with it. And I don't need to see one to just kind of, you know, like, these things just have an effect on me when I, if I were to watch one. And, because even though I've never seen a horror movie, I did watch, like, a, like, a deeply scary movie once. And just the effect of that one was all I needed to know for the rest of my life. So when I was a kid, I watched the scariest movie, uh, it's called The Wizard of Oz, and <laughs> it is, if you don't think it's scary, it's either, so I don't mean to cast judgment, it's either because you're just dead inside, um, or um, you didn't watch it when you were seven, so, but it's, e it's either one, but uh, like, that movie, like for real, like that just like kept me up, like many nights, like there was this Wicked Witch character, and like she had this cackle, and it just like, Poor little chubby Adam, like he just, he was scared of this, like, it was, like every night, like, like I've heard of things like living rent-free in your head, like this was just like this, like she, it, she was just like this unwanted squatter living in my head for a long time, and I would hear this cackle, and it was just, it was just there, like a lot, and I, I hated that movie, and it is, it is really, like still today, I can't watch it, so anyway, I don't know that many of you, again, because many of you are dead inside, like are scared of, of that particular movie, hear the witch's voice in your head at any moment, but I do wonder how many of us in a far more serious way, in a far more serious way than any movie, so often hear a voice in our head 
speaking to us. And sometimes it's really loud. And sometimes it's a whisper, but it's almost always there to some degree of our accuser and our tempter. And he's bringing his attack on us. He's custom making his attack on us to our specific vulnerability. See, I wonder if any of you have a loop that, if you have a fear that just runs on a loop in your mind of, of some fear of something in the future, of some fear of something that will happen, that just, just always in your mind. And the tempter would not only want to say, not only is this fear real, but really, God must not really love you, or you must not really love him, because why would those he, he loves so much ever be afraid? I wonder if there's a compromise with sin that you've slowly made in your life and the tempter would just sort of whisper in your ear, hey, it's not, it's not that big of a deal to watch that, to linger on that, to not confess that, to not reveal that to somebody, to just minimize this. It's, listen, every, everybody does it. Listen, you just, everybody just gives in sometimes and just has these, it's not that big of a deal. You not worry about it. Everyone struggles in similar ways. I wonder if you have an inadequacy that you just, you get reminded of nearly every day. And maybe you have, as a parent, you just have this sense that you're never going to be enough for your kids. And actually, the biggest factor in your kids' future is 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 your failings and your weaknesses and the things you don't bring to the table, yeah, that's, that's really going to be the biggest determiner of where they go. I wonder if there's a sin or a trial or a hardship or a circumstance that's not just looking to shape you in some way, but is seeking to define you and think, well, boy, if God's really sovereign, if God's really loving and really loves you, how, how could this be? doesn't feel like they're going together. So I wonder if you have a thought that races through your mind and it looks to define reality for you, it looks to define God for you, it looks to define your relationship with Him for you. I wonder if you're ever tempted to, through these hardships and difficulties, if you're ever tempted to, to just, I, I know what God said, but it just doesn't seem to match what I've experienced. It doesn't seem to match what I'm looking at right now. And so subtly and maybe even unknowingly, you're beginning to change what God must have said or what God must have meant or what you can really expect as his child. See, we must know the one who came for Christ is the one, for, is the one coming for those claimed by Christ. And if he had the nerve to twist God's word, own word to God himself, well, he's certainly going to seek to twist it for us. So how are, how are you going to fight when the tempter is in your head? Well, I would submit we fight in the same way our Savior did. See, the tempter, see, he will try to make you question your identity with God through your sins and your trials and your hardships and your hurts and your circumstances. So, we, we must battle Satan li Satan's lies with God's truth. God's truth like we see in Romans 8 where it says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. 
more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can say, no, 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 tempter. Tribulation and distress will come, but none of it separates me from him. None of it defines for me the love of God. No, Christ and what he has done for me, that's the unshakable reality of the love of God in my life. So no, no, you can't redefine it by the snapshot of the moment because Christ has defined it fully for me in his life and his death and his resurrection. So we remember our identity. And we, we cling to this book and we fight with this book. We, 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 we know what our temptation is so we can know what this book says about our temptation. Oh, you, you hear that you're inadequate as a parent? Yeah, I think we could declare, you're, you're right. That's why it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, and persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, of course, I'm inadequate. Hey, my, my kids, they, they don't need a perfect dad. They need a perfect Christ, and that is what they have. And so my weakness... It just helps show them off a little bit. We can say to fear, hey, I know what I'm afraid of, but I know who's with me. I know, here, here's the one who speaks to my fear, where it says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? So fear not, nor be afraid. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So I can say to my friend, that's, that's the one who's with me. That's the all-powerful one. He's, he's with me. When the accuser would declare, hey, your sin, it's not a big deal. Tempts you to think, hey, it's just, just, just it's okay. We can fight back with, 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 with with God's truth where it says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. So we, no, we know, no, no, I'm going to seek to put this sin to death because the Holy Spirit is empowering me to walk in newness of life. So I'm not going to treat it like it's no big deal. No, I'm going to treat it like God has something to say about it and his spirit is more powerful than my flesh. We can take God at his word when When, when, we, when, we, when we think, when, we, when he says the devil, that the tempter, listen, there are going to be times where he just feels so powerful. But we can take God at his word that he has no claim on us as he spreads his lies where it says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We can fight back knowing, hey, no, listen, he, he's powerful. But the one who is with me is so much bigger than him. So I'm going I'm to fight back and I'm going to resist so we fight with this book. And like Jesus, we lean into the person, into the work of the Holy Spirit. We seek to be filled 
daily with his presence. Here's the reality, right? Every morning, most mornings, my, my, my alarm goes off at 5.30 and I'm, I'm tired. The older I get, the, the more tired I feel when I wake up. And I'm, I'm a little groggy. And so I'm waking up my day starting like that and Satan's already been scheming. He's already got his battle plan. He already knows sort of my weaknesses and my temptations. And so there's already temptation that I'm going to face and it's, and it's early. So I just need to be aware. It shouldn't take me long to go get the help I need, to go get the empowering I need. I should recognize I wake up weak. I wake up needy. I wake up sinful. But God is so generous to again and again and again fill me with his presence. And that's what he does for all bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So we should just be running to go to the Holy Spirit and say, fill me afresh today because I am so desperate and dependent on you and you alone. And his presence does so many things, two of which are mentioned in Romans 8, where it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. A few verses later it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do, not know what we, we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what is true, that we are his children. He, he, that we are his children if we trust in Jesus Christ and this Christ is sufficient for our every need and this Holy Spirit empowers his people for, for, every, for every step they take, for every, for every temptation they will face, for every lie that they are being whispered, his Spirit is, is our empowering presence and he fills his people with more and more of his presence and of himself. So we can trust what God's word says of our identity and we seek to define reality by God's objective truth, not my subjective sense of my circumstances. We fight with this book and we daily depend on the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence for our lives. And we know this, when we are in the wilderness, when we are facing temptation, when the accuser and the tempter is fighting us, we know this, that unlike Jesus, we do not stand alone. See, in the wilderness, Jesus faced the tempter and none of his people stood with him. But we will never stand alone because not only did Jesus face the enemy without any of his people, on the day he finally and fully defeated the enemy, he cried out, why has my God forsaken me? As he experienced the wrath of God and God turning his face away from him, he felt the unbelievable pain and sting of isolation so that we would experience in every moment of our lives what God says to us is true. I will never leave you or forsake you. Christ stood isolated so that we would never stand alone. So when the test and the temptation comes for you, we stand with Christ himself. We stand in the power of the Holy Spirit who defeated the enemy then and defeats him for us now. So praise be to God, we have Jesus 
who is victorious in every test. Let's pray. Father, would you give faith for your people as they face difficulty, as they face temptation, as they face tests, to, to define reality, not to not divine reality through the through what the tempter's lies would say, but through what you have declared in your word to be true. And Lord, would we fight with this book? Would we fight through your words? Lord, would your word be living and active in our lives, sharper than any two-edged sword? Would it, would it have an effect on us? And then would we use it to fight the enemy? And Lord, I pray that your people each and every day would, would run to the Holy Spirit to get to get His empowering presence more and more in their lives. We'd be more aware of the empowering presence of the Spirit so that we would not be those who think godliness is fighting alone. But Lord, that we would recognize our only source of hope is Christ's Spirit living and active, stronger than our enemy. So would you give your people faith as we fight temptation and as we fight the tempter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.